Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Rob, welcome back to the Leadership Drip. Dude, I'm telling you what, it rolls off my tongue like a good cup of coffee. And we got coffee. And we have lots of coffee. We also have Adam Weber. He's the founder and lead pastor of Embrace in Sioux City, uh, South Dakota. That's a Sodak, I believe. So, so is that is that Sodak? right? Is that a Sodak? It is. Uh, it's actually. I love this. It's actually Sioux Falls, but it's totally the same. It's totally the same thing, but not the same thing at all. We're in South Dakota, though. In South Dakota, Sioux Falls, my area. Bro, Sioux Falls, bro, you, you can't, South Dakota. You can't start off the conversation with a confusing statement like it's the same thing, but it's not the same thing at all. Well, I, uh, well, for anybody who doesn't live in South Dakota or for Iowa, it's the same thing. But if you live locally, it's a very different place. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. so continue on with the, <laughs> with the stellar intro, Jeff. I'm killing it today. Killing it. Killing it. He's the author of two books, most recent, Love Has a Name, just released. And he's willing to admit this. He's a Cincinnati Bengals fan. And I have to ask, how did you become a Bengals fan? Yeah. How did that happen? Oh, I know. It's a tragic, tragic story. Uh, but I was three years old. I kid you not. It's one of my youngest memories I have, period, is my older cousin, who was a Broncos fan, had an Isaac Curtis football card. Isaac Curtis was a re- receiver for the Bengals, and he gave it to me. That was the first card I ever got, and I was set. So I got to see Kenny Anderson on TV play one game, and then it was Boomer, Andy Dalton, and uh, it's been a it's been a bumpy road as a Bengals fan. Okay, I'm going to test your Bengals. I'm going to see how big of a Bengals fan this wow. guy actually wow. is. Okay, I could I'm going to fail here, but keep okay, going. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Who was the Bengals player who played two positions? He was a punter and a receiver, and he is actually the founder of starting lineup. Oh my gosh! I didn't know we had a sports trivia show. I want to say, do. I could be wrong. This is it. Ken Riley. You are wrong. Do you Who is know? it? I actually do. Okay. <laughs> it's Pat McAnally. Now the only Oh my gosh. Reason, the only reason that is, why I know that, that is old school old He's school. old school, right? The only reason I, why I, I got tripped is up because is because he was my son's high school football coach. So <laughs> that's all the Bengals trivia I got. Confessions. Confessions there. You you did legitimately stumped me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I actually don't know this. From I, I'm not great with history, anything before '82, but really after there, that's my strong. So I could still be wrong a whole bunch of times. I love the trivia. How about this? Listen, <laughs> this has nothing to do with leadership or the show. It's really just a Pittsburgh fan. You're just, just you're just digging, digging it in. Digging right a Bengals fan. <laughs> I am the lone guy over here who's a Bears fan, and we the, don't win ever. The Bears. <laughs> we don't ever. The win. Bears. The uh, Bears. So what? How did you get? Now are you from Sioux Falls? I am from South Dakota. If South you are Dakota. not from, if you're not from South Dakota when you live here, I, I always tell people I'm praying for their souls. South yeah. Dakota is a wonderful place to live, with the exception of winter. So uh, if you, yeah, if you're not originally from South Dakota, it's trouble. Gotcha. It's so, a beautiful so, state, though. So, I've been through South Dakota so a couple. Feelings on winter? Do you love it? Hate it? Mixed feelings? Uh, no, I I have a very strong hate for South Dakota winters. Okay, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, like the state is gorgeous. The people are fantastic. Sioux Falls is one of the raddest towns right now. It's super cool. Things are happening, but winter is brutal. I mean, we'll have yeah. a we'll have a week straight of negative thirty. I mean, wow. it's 
Eastern South, Eastern South Dakota and Eastern North Dakota is even worse. It's like nothing else. I swear. It's crazy. So, so here in Southeast Tennessee, if it threatens <laughs> snow, the world stops. Yes, that is true. That is actually true. Like, like not even snows, like it threatens snow and we go, mm, I think we're going to stay in for a week. Yeah. So we get cold. The milk and bread. Yeah, yeah we, we, get, we get snow, but I don't think we have bragging rights on snow. Places like Colorado, yeah. Western, you know, like other places have Montana. bragging rights. Yeah, but we yeah. have the bragging rights, which is not bragging rights, on cold, windy weather. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I think, Rob, I think um, one of our professors here, Dr. Doffy, spent quite a bit of time in South Dakota. He has, yeah. He yeah. was, yeah, he was awful little, uh, he would clarify that he was a Sodak and not a Nodak. Very, like, in class. Very distinctively. Yeah, like, he spent a lot of time up there. Yeah. We, it, it's very similar to people who live in Sioux City. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's like a, a tear under, I supposedly God still loves them. Um, but gotcha. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but. I just want well, to let's share. let's cross the theological barriers early. <laughs> possibly, he still loves them. <laughs> he might still love them. He might still love the world them. and maybe Sioux City. And possibly. <laughs> oh, awesome. No. Hey, so thanks again for being on the show. We're having a lot of fun, and uh, you know, we really want to get into some of the of the book. We want to really get into some of these these leadership conversations. But um, I'm really fascinated. Jeff and I are both local church fans. We say that all the time on the show. I'm also a multi-site fan. Um, I was a part of a large multi-site uh, church in California for a long time. And so what you're doing with Embrace Church is, is a multi-site model, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so kind of give me the story of Embrace and how you got there and, and uh, what God is doing in, in your church right now. Yeah, so um, Embrace really started unintentionally. For me, it was clearly... Uh, it's been such a great gift to know this, but it was clearly something from God and not from me. Uh, I wasn't on Facebook at the time. Um, so I didn't know it was a cool pastor thing to do to start a new church. So I legitimately did not want to start a church. Right. Uh, I had heard that the only thing harder was, you know, doing missionary work in some hard places in the world. And I just thought, why would you ever sign up for that? And again, I wasn't coming back to South Dakota in my brain. I was heading to Virginia, Maryland, DC area. That's kind of where I wanted to end up. The pastor led me to Christ, though, called me one night and said, hey, we have this idea of a church in Sioux Falls. What do you think? And I said it was a bad idea. And um, but it, really against my will and against I just didn't have the courage to tell him no. He was a mentor of mine, a soft spoken, kind man that I just knew loved the Lord. And also, I thought it was going to all fall apart. Like, I just didn't think it was going to actually happen. So we started the church. And uh, again, first three years, we didn't grow explosive growth for nine or 10 years. I mean, just back to back to back crazy growth, which was exciting. Uh, it was also exhausting in a lot of ways. I was 24 years old when I started the church. I wouldn't let my 24 year old self now borrow my keys to my car. Right. And, yeah. and, and so I didn't know anything. I knew nothing about leading a church or being a pastor. And I was just thrown in and it was just an awesome experience of learning, but also very, very hard. We grew and grew and grew and grew. We were, uh, we were gonna, we never wanted to do multi-site either. We were gonna continue to grow at our one location. We were looking at adding on a second sanctuary onto our broadcast campus and we'd do services every half hour. So like an 8.30, 9, 9.30, 10, 10.30, 11. And the week of kind of our church vote that we were gonna do, we had done all this prep, all the blueprints, months of working. 
uh, the banker called and said, hey, I made a mistake. You actually need double the amount down for the down payment. Oh. And it was just like, how, what? How do I you mean, make like, that mistake? <laughs> how do you make that mistake when we've already spent, we had spent like $50,000 through the architects and all right. this kind of stuff. And we knew immediately we couldn't do it. And so it fell apart. It was me and two close friends on staff then, kind of in leadership. Uh, I said, um, hey, guys, here's the news. We all kind of went our way. I mean, we were devastated. I was crying when I shared it with them. I went out in my car, and um, I called uh, a coach of mine, and he said, um, okay, well, uh, well, now it's probably time to go multi-site. And I was like, what? And he's like, you have Travis, one of your guys, who's our executive pastor, lives in this small community of tea right outside of Sioux Falls. He could easily, he's got 40, 50, 60 people already that are coming to a group of his leadership stuff. Like, let's just do it. So I came back inside, asked him what he thought. And he said, I've wanted to do that since the first day I started. Mm. And mm. so we, we literally made the decision to go multi-site within about 15 minutes. Oh my goodness. And it was just great. I mean, again, at that time, I'm probably 27, 28, still wet behind the ears of what can happen and what's, what can't happen. And so we, we went multi-site and just kept growing and growing and growing during that time. And um, last, uh, about two, three years ago, went through a hard season just to share the hard side side of leadership. I think it's easy to hear all this, the success right, and rapid right. growth. Uh, we went through a hard season about two, it was two summers ago. I made a hard leadership decision to let someone go and it was not popular. And so we went through the hard, away from those first three years, the second hardest season of our lives. And, and um, it was so crazy just to see God restore so much. Uh, this last spring, pre-COVID, I mean, it was just ramping up. I it felt the most momentum that we'd probably had again in probably four or five years. And then COVID hit. And so it's another season of like, okay, what does this look like? Uh, we've started physical services for the last two months. We're still at about 60 to 65% of where we were. Uh, any other time in the history of our church, if that would have happened, it'd have been like, what is going on? Right. Um, yeah. We're a church that continues to try to reach young. So we'll, re we'll hire people who are 21 years old, 22 years old. Um, our first main worship leader, she uh, was a second year student at a college in town. She was a female. Obviously, she's a gal. And so not many churches were willing to give her a chance. And I saw a heart for Jesus and I saw a crazy talent and humility in her. So we gave her a job and she just flourished. And awesome. so we've always had, we've always had a heart to, to develop young um, and really take a risk on that. Um, we also have kind of a unique part of our story. We also have, I think we're at eight or nine network churches. So those are not churches that are, they're not embrace, but they join us for our message each week, real time. Right. Uh, like a campus would be. And so the church, we have nothing figured out. I've never, I mean, I am a work in progress leader. Uh, I'm 38 years old right now. It's weird to start feeling like I'm not the young guy or not the youngest person in the room. Cause that was always me. When I first took the job, I was 24. And I think the, the youngest person uh, that was in the room with me was like 48 or 49 mm -hmm. and um, among like 15 or 20 colleagues. And so uh, I just learned a lot as a young, a young leader and um, still learning a whole bunch as a leader. So that's kind of the, our, uh, yeah, our, it's a church full of the most unlikely of people. Our story is the story of the prodigal son. We just want to reach that person who's far from Jesus. 
That's yeah. awesome. You you mentioned the first three years in the struggle, and there's some statistical analysis. I don't want to call it necessarily true always because you're, you seem to be an outlier of that, that if you don't make it in the first three years, then you're probably not going to make it. Um, and that, that is true in some cases. Right. I've been in a church plant where it didn't take in those yep. first few years, and, and it just never took. What was the turning point for you guys three years in sort of struggling, trying to get to go? What, what brought that momentum? What was the shift? Was it a leadership shift? Was it just God showed up? What, what brought that change? Yeah. So uh, it was, it was so hard, but again, I'm like, I'm specifically for the young leader. I'm so grateful that I had it. Cause then uh, uh, when we had a decade of explosive growth, outreach 100 list was just a given for like six, seven years, like years. Um, we didn't make it the first couple of years because we weren't big enough. But if we would have, our growth was just so much so. In those years, it was so good to know this was not your idea. And uh, yeah, also, yeah. also never forget the first three years were no like you were nothing to write home about, and you still aren't. And so it's just this good. And then when you go through the seasons, like I went through two years ago, it's again, God, this is your plan. It's not mine. Your idea, not mine. So I was so grateful for that. And I, what, what, I, what I, I feel like this is a Christine Kane type thing that she says, stay in your lane and be faithful. Yeah. Um, instead of bopping all over the place, chasing the next sexy thing or next hot, like exciting thing or the next exciting church, weather some storms. Uh, stay in those places that aren't pretty. Um, you know, you just have something to learn from those places. I'm so glad God wouldn't let me leave. For us, um, it was shifting services to a Monday morning. So we were, we were, for the first three years, we were meeting at another church, and so we had to have a Sunday evening service. Well, in South Dakota, it's a little bit different, but still, Sunday mornings is when you go to church here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just felt in my soul, if we can get to Sunday mornings, and I love the people. I, I, it was really hard, you know, having my supervisors tell me it's going to close, it's failing, and, and they were bringing reality to me. It right. was definitely some tough love moments. But I just felt like if we get to a Sunday morning, we'd grow. I just, and I didn't let it like wait for Sunday morning for us to grow and I'm just going to be lazy. No, I kept doing my leg work. And then Sunday morning hit and we literally over doubled in size in one Sunday. Mm. Um, we, it just insane. And then I'm like, oh, this is just a one week type deal. And it wasn't, it was a, a long-term deal. So, hmm. yeah. Interesting. Man, that, that brings up a lot of, um, leadership reality check type conversations where you know especially especially in our culture that's quite a bit instantaneous right when we 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 bag a lot on instant gratification or you know i gotta get results now or whatever and and those are and there there are situations where those do apply but i think it's i think it's the resiliency that we're after in those in those moments that we that we often overlook because i think i think god is is a preparer of his plan, not just the disseminator of his plan. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think, I think as we talk a lot about young adults on the show, we talk a lot about young people in church. It's not always true. It's not always perfect. And there are moments and situations where yes, young leaders rise to the top very, very quickly. And for good reasons, et cetera. I'm not, I don't have a problem with that, but man, do we undervalue the idea of building resiliency? And so, I mean, looking back on your 24-year-old self, if, if your son came to you or if my son came to me and said, hey, dad, I want to plant a church, what would be like one of the first things that you would tell him besides no? 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. What I, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad at that time for me, it didn't feel like a cool thing. It felt like a death land. Right. Yeah. Um, but now it's different. Now it's pretty cool and hip to start a church and have right. that. And that wasn't the case. What I, uh, I can remember asking Brad Lominick is a guy that used to be with Catalyst and has just yeah. become mm-hmm. a, a brother and a mentor to me. And I can remember when he came out here one time, I said, Brad, what can we do to grow? Like even more, like, you know, like I got a book. It was, it was before my first book. Like I just really, and so I'm asking him like, grow, 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 grow. And he's like, I'm not worried about your growth. I'm worried about your foundation, Adam. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I'm worried this building's going to tip over. Yeah. And uh, I'm not worried about, it's going to grow. And le- like, it, I'm worried about your foundation. And so I think that would be that same thing is what does your foundation look like? And uh, starting a church, uh, it's, it's a boxing match. Do you like getting punched in the face? Sure. And, and are, like, how are you trained for nine rounds? Cause it's nine rounds. It's not one unless you get TKO'd or somebody else does. Yeah. And, um, and so like, are you, are you prepared for that? What does your character look like? What does your foundation look like? Um, the thing I'm, again, I'm so glad social media wasn't as big then because I would have just been running up the ladder as much as I possibly could. We want book deals tomorrow. We want to be seen. We want to preach right. tomorrow. Well, um, you, and again, like this, like I, so much of my story, I just didn't feel like I had a choice with it, but, um, and, and we can be used. Let no one look down on you because you're young, you know, first Timothy, that's so wise, but don't, don't run to the, to the, to the podium. Don't run to the microphone or to the book deals. Um, run to be, be faithful, like stay in your lane, get some, get some street cred learn from somebody who's there. I used to hate, I used to hate hearing about Jesus. Jesus didn't do anything until after he was 30. I'm like, that sounds horrible. Why would we wait that long? Like, cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram three. I want to climb a mountain and put a flag on the top of it, you know? But it's just like, I just see like this bouncing around. Like I got a voice to say, I've been married for five days. I'm going to tell you about marriage. Anytime I speak about marriage, I've been married for 16 years. I have fear and trembling in my bones. I'm like, yeah. you're talking about marriage, but that shouldn't keep us from being used by God. And so I think it's faithfulness in your lane, staying in a place. Um, one of the things I'm even learning just in this last two years, Jesus constantly talks about the secret, the secret, the secret, what mm-hmm. you do in the secret, like in a good sense. And um, like, I, that's the stuff that I'm looking for. And then when we're faithful in the secret places with the nobodies that have nothing to offer us and we're just faithful and we're loving people and serving people and pouring into people when no one's patting us on the back and putting us on Instagram, like those moments are what prepares us for, for, for big moments. Yeah. And even just to turn it around, even big moments, I even say big moments. I'm really going to begin to feel lately that God's going to tell me one day, Adam, what you thought were big moments, you know, books and stages and stuff were actually really little moments. And those things that you thought were little moments, like helping that person down your block that doesn't even know who you are and pulling your car over to assist that person, you thought those were really small moments. Those are actually the big moments. Yeah. And yeah. so for, for me, I've just been really like, I think for that person, what are you doing when no one's watching? And, and also, uh, don't force a door open. This is something too. Uh, for so many years, for so many years, I forced a door open. 
I'm persistent. One of my favorite verses is the widow who keeps knocking and yeah. that's being faithful. We should, we, we should be faithful. What she didn't do. She didn't take a sledgehammer though and break down the door, you know, and you have those moments where you're being faithful. And then you have those moments where you're trying to break down the door. You're trying to make something happen. You're trying to appear in a way or like mm -hmm. weasel your way into stuff. When you force the door open, uh, I just to kind of let you know, it's now your job to keep the door open. Yeah. When you're That's in the good. room, you got to keep performing because yeah. the, the person that you sweet talk to liking you, you got to keep impressing them. Mm -hmm. And that, cause you got the door open, like you, you, you have to keep it open. And so you're one legs on the door and then you're like, you're trying to like entertain and all this kind of stuff. It's an exhausting place to be. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But when it's not sustainable. Faith, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And they're going to start finding out that it's a show, but you just faithfully, again, uh, there's nothing wrong with knocking. We're supposed to knock. Yeah. When you knock on the door and you just put the opportunity out and all of a sudden God opens it up. Then when you're in the room, and this is just something I'm learning. I'm 38 years old. I'm just learning this. Then when you're in the room, what are you filled with? With joy, with peace. And the, the people in the room, there's no show. There's no performance. And they actually appreciate the person you are and who you are. And so it's not exhausting because God's got the door open. And he's the one who opened it for you. And the person they see you for who you are, imperfections at all. Adam, yeah, I know. Gosh, two years ago, he went through a hard season in his church. Man, he's imperfect. He's grown as a leader. And uh, he's preaching, yeah, he, not the most polished preacher. He, he preaches with heart, but that's genuine. I've seen it like when he's not on camera. And so that, that's something that I've just been like, don't force the door open. Instead, just faithfully knock. And uh, even my, my son, I've been telling him that he's a really good musician for his age. He's an eighth grader. And so everything in me is wanted to like tell our team, Hey, you should probably put him on the team. Like he's legitimately good. And yet I'm like, I am not opening that door for him. That's gotta be a dot God door. So I have not mentioned when our worship leader on this, Hey, anybody, any electric guitars players out there want to play? I don't, Hey, uh, Hudson Weber is one of the best that you'll find have not said a word. And um, for two years, he, he could have easily been on the team. He could have, no kidding, like talent-wise, been on there, have not said a single word, have actually done the opposite. I've been in a room. Does anybody know an electric guitar player? Not saying a word. Why? Because God's going to open that door for Hudson. Yeah. And Hudson, you just stay in your lane. And when the invite comes, the only thing that fills your heart is, is thankfulness. Any ounce of entitlement, oh my gosh. Lord, would you highlight any ounce of entitlement in our soul? If we think for a second we deserve something, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's good, man. It, it kind of raises a question for me. And, and again, we're way off script, but that's okay. It's what we do. Um, Nobody really knows our script before we don't, the show we don't, except us. We're off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have <laughs> so a script. The listeners don't know we're off. <laughs> but, but I think you're answering the question, but I think I want to I kind of package it just a little bit differently. One of the great, great sort of aspects or attributes of what I call Gen Z is their entrepreneurial spirit. And you yeah. talked a lot about how kind of sexy it is to launch a church and, and it is. And listen, I, I, we know guys personally who are launching churches that are like insta cool. I mean, like yep. way insta cool and they have almost no resources and no people. So, I mean, yep. you know it's what great. I mean? So, so they have this amazing entrepreneurial sort of spirit and vibe about them. But at the same time, there, there needs to be that counterbalance of 
of how, how do they do that in such a way? Yes, of course, that is God honoring, but in such a way that is, that is paced or in such a way that is um, timed or in such a way that is fruitful or intelligent or wise, right? I mean, because, because we want them to generate energy. It's part of the reason why we, we advocate so strongly for young adults to be in the local church. That's right. That's because right. Of the energy they generate. Yes. How do we help them? How do we help them sort of be entrepreneurial while they're staying in their lane of faithfulness? Yeah. And humility, I think the other piece. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I, I, that's, that's such a delicate balance. So um, I'm, I'm going to share a quick story first. So there's a gal named Allie. Uh, she lives 40 miles out of town and she's a sophomore in high school and she is now leading worship for our broadcast campus. And why is she getting that opportunity? Well, first off faithfulness, second off humility. I don't sense an ounce of entitlement. There's not like this, Hey, are you gonna give me a mic pretty soon? None of that. And because of that, I'm actually have knocked on the door for her a couple of times and she doesn't even know it. Yeah. Of like, of like, Hey, Allie's amazing. And um, it's just so cool how God opens those doors when they're supposed to come. I think for that person, um, that balance um, to, keep, to stay grounded, to stay humble, I think first off, your relationship with Christ is huge. And then uh, the second thing is to have mentors in your life. And mentor doesn't have to be this formalized thing, but people right. who have been down the road longer who can speak into you and they speak into you unfiltered. And, and it's so hard to hear what they're saying. I just, I look back and some of the landmines I've stepped on, my mentors were telling me were there yeah, and they told me they were there over and over and over. And I couldn't hear them because secretly I thought I knew better than them. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if you have success. So my main pastor mentor, um, I, I have, I have two specific that come to mind. They're actually both named Roger. One was Roger Spar. Um, he just retired this last year. My church at the age of 28 was bigger than his. And his was one of the biggest in our, it was actually the biggest in our, our denomination in South and North Dakota. And so in that moment, I can remember getting in that moment. It's like, my church is bigger than yours. Uh, and what I've secretly felt is I know more than you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I, I even think about it. It just makes me want to cry just even saying that. You fool is what I want to go back to my 28 year old self. I want to drown myself first off. Yeah. And, then, and then like, are you kidding me? You know more than a man who has pastored churches longer than you've been breathing. No, you don't. You might know more information. You don't know wisdom. Yeah. And so I think for, I think for me to have several mentors, the more gifted you are, the more charisma you have, uh, the more influence and power and wonderful things can happen, but the more danger. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's like driving a Ferrari. Um, it, it, you just don't know how much power is under the hood. And so you, you're used to ha handling a Chevy Aveo, like my first car, uh, in ministry, my first car, my first car was a beautiful car, 1966 Ford Falcon, God rest its soul. Oh, but, wow. uh, but my Aveo though, like if I would have went from that to a Ferrari, and again, the more gifted you are, the more that is, man, Ferraris, like you just, there's so much power that like you don't even know it. And, um, and so I, I think, I think the more you need mentors, the more you need checks and balances, the more you need people in your, in your private life and your personal life 
um, to speak into you and listen to what they have to say. If you're hearing the same thing for two, from more than one or two people, people who care about you, you're going to have haters and naysayers. But if you're hearing the same thing from two people who love you and have nothing to gain from it, man, you, that should be an eyes wide open, red flag waving, you know? And yeah. so I think just listening to those people is huge. Yeah. Adam, you've mentioned a couple of people by name and, and, and you, you mentioned younger leaders that you're bringing on in your church culture. And, and I love the conversation about mentorship. It's one of the, the hot button conversations for me. I love that. Are, are you guys systematically implementing that or how are you sort of mentoring young leaders in the, in the environment of embrace church? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things we challenge all of our staff, I think we have 26, seven full-time staff. We challenge all of them to have their eight is what they're called. And this isn't just an age thing, but every person has eight people that they're pouring into. It's kind of their leadership team, every single position. We currently do not have everybody at that place, but it's literally, we just got an email this last week. Okay, who are, you eight? who are your eight right now that you're pouring into, that you're shepherding, that you're mentoring? Just right out here, right before I came in uh, between the interviews. I came out here and uh, our associate campus pastor at our Sertoma campus said, hey, Adam, I want to introduce you to, to her. And um, I'm going to assume she looks like she's like a sophomore in college. And she's now a volunteer. And they were walking through the actual covenant for being a volunteer at our youth. And I mean, it, you could just hear him pouring into her. And uh, I believe she's one of, his, one of his eight. And so it's constantly having... Uh, eight people that you're pouring into, that you're shepherding, that you're leading. And then we're always, we talk about it. And, and actually at our broadcast campus, we've kind of felt a little old lately. And, and it's going to, you know, it's going to represent the age of the pastor. So I'm 38. We have a lot of 38s in the church. Mm -hmm. I have a heartbeat for young though. I do. I, I like, I'm so glad that God, um, Roger Spar, a, a non-flashy, he's not a cool pastor at all. He right. preached in a tie until he retired. Um, I'm so glad that he saw something in me and raised me up. And so I think it's just that intentionality when we do hires, when we do our eights of just who are we intentionally bringing along and how are we pouring into them leadership wise, our staff, even, and we have a young staff, um, for the longest time, I mean, it's crazy. For the longest time, we didn't have anybody over the age of 40. Our oldest person on staff at one point was like 38 years old. And we, we all joked that they were the old man on stage, <laughs> on, the, on, on, on staff. And uh, still, though, but we, we talk about it constantly. And even um, our all staff meetings, every single one of them has an element of leadership and growth. And so um, even allowing... Uh, at admins to give a staff talk instead of just the, the campus pastors. I mean, our, our social media person will give a staff talk. And so really trying to in everything, raise people up and it's, you have to have a certain title before you can talk and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not the case at all. Mm. You need to be a certain age before you can do whatever. No, no, we don't. We just don't have that. And I, I'm beginning to realize just how not, that's not typically the case. Um, if you want to, grow here and you want opportunities they're there it's just a matter of if you're going to take them or not yeah cool and i think just allowing that and even um um even see uh, allowing for upward movement in the church uh, we have these player coach roles that like uh our kids people 
uh, has one person that's kind of the, becomes the lead. And that's a thing that gets chosen really by um, the team who is crushing it. And it doesn't matter how old you are. And so right now I think our youngest person is the, the player coach role in that. That's cool. On the entire team. That's cool, man. Um, so let's, let's, before we get to the book and we want to get to the book here in just a second, but um, across cultures, right? So you're, you're kind of like us, you're in that age pocket where you're sort of crossing over into a new zone. Um, I think Jeff and oh, yeah. I both are a little bit ahead of you. We may have yeah, already crossed over. Yeah. We, so, we crossed over. Yeah, I, think. I think we've crossed over. Your um, hair, well, your, well, your hairline says that you're 25 and mine says about 85. So the, the gray <laughs> in my beard says about 50 though. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for you, across across cultures and I, I think i think biblically we could talk about this for a long time i think culturally we could talk about this discipline wise we could talk about this for a long time but for you what are some of those key leadership principles that across cultures just kind of remain the same like what are some things that we need to be paying attention to that are just staples of leadership sort of reality Things, things that we look for as far as in a leader, is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, what are those yeah. principles, those ministry principles, leadership principles that we just kind of look for? Yeah, so we have, we have um, five staff values that are our work values, actually, that we, we look for in people. Um, uh, one of, and they're all very, very simple. One of them is get it done. Um, like, be someone who gets it done. Like, it can get the ball across the goal line. Uh, and it basically is what, whatever, what you say is what you do. I'm always amazed. I mean, you want to be successful in life, do what you say. And there's always going to be variables and obstacles. And sometimes you can't do that, but gosh, just get it done. Another one of our values is push the envelope. And so we're constantly looking for people. So when we do hires, we walk through the work values with them. And it, it, we just say like, it, uh, if you do these things, this is what we say is a wins for, and what we're looking for. Uh, another one's get people there. Every person on staff, we want to get people there. What does that mean? Well, if you're doing something, you should get people there. Um, whether it's to a small group training, like a leader's training, whether it's to youth, whether it's to worship, whether it's online services, your job is to get people there. To, uh, to basically, like you believe in it, you'll get people there. Um, another, um, another one is uh, around leadership uh, is, is basically reproduce yourself constantly it's that that's really a lot of like your, your your eight language that just yeah. to be honest reproducing myself is not a natural thing for me to do um as a new church pastor i had a very small team if you can even call it a team and i from an early age i just i'm a, again i'm a three i can do it better than anybody else is what i think i i would never say that but i feel that right and so i'm not great at reproducing myself and yet our, uh, one of my, our executives, that's, his, that's, his, that's how his blood flows, is if somebody else can do this, even remotely close to how I can do it, I'm having them do it. And he has a high bar. And so it's, 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 it's awesome. So it's not just this kind of whatever happens type thing. Um, but it's just so cool to see those different, different work values yeah. flow out. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's the ones that we look for. And that's the things that we push on. Those are the things we talk about, teach on in our all staff we're constantly talking about how you can do better at those things awesome. that's good awesome well the book just released um by the time we released the episode it will have been out several weeks now but the book is love has a name 
Um, I want to know what you describe, you define, how you define love in the book, Adam. Yes. I don't even know if I give it a definition as much as in chapter one, kind of introduce you to who love is, which may seem cliche, but it's Jesus. And, um, and so I really, probably the definition of, of who love is, is, is Jesus more than what is love. And I talk about, cause, uh, love is something different depending on who you talk with. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to hear about what love is according to me. I want what love is according to Jesus. And, and so I talk about Jesus and really throughout the entire book show aspects of who Jesus is and the way that he loves people. And hopefully that's the way that they come to, the, to understand it. But the one thing I do talk about is I say that he's full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's the part of love that we may not um, always think about is both sides of those things. E- most people lean one way or the other. They lean towards grace or they lean towards truth. Jesus was full both. And so I think maybe for each of us individually, if we're a grace person, we might need to learn, lean towards truth. And if we're a truth person, we might need to learn towards grace. Um, but it's really for me in the person of Jesus that we come to see who and what love is. And so really throughout the entire book, I introduce you to a person in my life. Each chapter is the name of a person. It's 27 people plus one school who has either loved me or I've tried to love them combined with a similar person that Jesus has loved. Mm. And so hopefully throughout the book, you're meeting these random yahoos that I've known or cross paths with combined with someone similar that Jesus knew. And hopefully throughout the entire book, you'll really come to understand like, oh, this is what love is. This is different than what I thought it is. And so throughout the book, there's all these, these different chapters and the subtitles are different aspects of what love is. So love pursues the unpopular. Love multiplies for the good of others. Love adores extravagantly. Love stays when everyone else leaves. It's all these different aspects of what love is, according not to me, but according to Jesus. So, so I think one of the questions that you answer in the book, and I think it's probably one of the most difficult questions we need to answer, but it's also one of the ones uh, that we probably need to answer most right now, yeah. and that is, how do we love people who are different than? us yeah is that not the truth right Uh, and i I would say right now it's harder than any other time at least in my lifetime to do that because uh right now we're socially distanced we're apart from each other our world is going through more trauma than any time before i didn't know about the hurricane until last night my wife's like do you realize there's a hurricane coming towards us i'm like no there's not and she's like yes there is and then there's more riding and more shoot like and just all kinds of trauma. Oh, and we're all forced to socially distance. So we're behind a screen even more. Right. It's, it's hard to love a person when you don't see them as a person. Instead, yeah. you see them as a cause. You see them as a Twitter account. You see them as an annoyance to your day. You see them as a machine who's giving you Starbucks coffee. Anytime you can dehumanize somebody and specifically if they're different, it's easy to treat them horribly. And I feel like that's what we're doing right now. You go on Twitter, everybody's just yelling at each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something changes though when you get face to face with person, even if you zoom face to face with person. I'm I'll, I'll, from time to time, leadership wise. Um, if you're not a leader, you'll have these moments. Uh, <laughs> from time to time, I'll get an email from somebody in the church, and it sounds like they're at my house burning my house down with my kids and wife in it. <laughs> you read it and you're like, oh my gosh. You are burning my house down as we speak. I need to go home and put it out. And then you meet with that person face to face. 
and they turn into the kindest, most level-headed. And I almost want to bring out the email and say, did you write this email? And it's because, it's because we're now face-to-face. And so I think for, for me, what I would encourage somebody, and this is really the heartbeat of the book, the person who's different from you, get to know their name. Mm. Realize they're a human. When we put a name with a person, it makes them human. It humanizes them. Get to know their name and get to know their story. And all of a sudden, this is what's so crazy. You'll begin to find out that you have so much more in common than you ever imagined. Even with someone of a different race, of a different background, social, like economic status, like you'll begin to find, oh my gosh, we actually have a lot of similarities and you'll find common ground. Why do we focus on the one or two areas that we disagree on and immediately say we can't be friends anymore? You think that I can't, I can't be friends with you. I can't listen to you. Instead of like, can you help me understand why that's where you're at? And then all of a sudden they begin, they begin to share and you find out that they grew up in a single parent home or their mom's a teacher or they're, they're a different race. And some of the things that were said to them as a child, like, like, oh my gosh, now I'm beginning to understand why you would have that opinion and why you'd feel that way. Where before I was just assuming all these things. So that person who's different, befriend them. Yeah. A quick thing for all the Jesus followers here. If you don't have friends, not acquaintances, friends that are different from you in that area of your life, you do not look like Jesus. Yeah. That area of your life, this, the longtime Christian is going to really hear, hate to hear this. You are a very shallow Christian. Mm-hmm. How can you say that? I read the Bible in Greek. Like, how can you say that? <laughs> you are a very shallow Christian in that area. And if people who disagree with you don't respect you, you don't look like Jesus in that yeah. area. Like, like people who are different from us, they sh- they, it's totally like we should have honest conversations with people, um, but we should have loved them so well that they know that just because we disagree with them doesn't mean we disagree with the fact that they're a human being. And I, I think when we, when we get face to face with people, something powerful happens and we, no one is going to change someone's mind on any topic, any thoughts by yelling. Uh, one of our pastors always says, adults hate being told what to do. Mm-hmm. We hate it. We hate being told how to think. Any moment that we think we're being told, this is what you need to do, 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 we just resist, resist, resist. But when we lead with humility and kindness and we lead with un- trying to understand, we just might change so much more than us. God, through us, might all of a sudden begin to change hearts and thoughts and opinions and choices. And I've seen that change so many people. Yeah. I think what you're, what you're saying here is, is such, a, such a wise sort of approach to this question. I mean, I think, you know, if you're in leadership, you're going to get stung, right? That's, that's a given. Oh, so let's gosh. just cross, let's just check yeah. the box and move on. We know it's going to happen. I get emails just like you get emails. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I can share with you some of the front funny ones that I got this week for different reasons, but we don't have time for that. But I, I will say this. I think, I think what you're saying is so spot on because two of the most powerful sentences I've ever learned to write are this, especially when it comes to emails or social media or something like that. Thank you for sharing your story. I would love to invite you to sit down with me and have a conversation about it. That's right. I get nothing in return. Crickets. Like crickets. Like nobody actually wants to sit down and have a conversation. But, but I think it's not our responsibility to force them to sit down with us and talk about 
you know, the issue or the email that burning our house down or whatever. I think as leaders, our responsibility is to invite them into the journey with us and unpack all of those things that, that, that are happening in the midst of, of their world, right? So I think, I think what you're saying is so true when it comes to differences of opinion, right? Yes. And we, it's like you, to say something is to choose a side, but that's not biblical. Yes. That's, that's, not, that's not scripture. To say something, to speak the truth in love, if you want to throw the phrase in there. Yeah. Not choosing a side. It's showing a way. It's showing a path, right? And so that's the invitation. So for, for all the young leaders out there, don't feel this overwhelming res- need to respond to everything. Yes. Just invite. Yeah. G- right? Jesus, yeah, Jesus was constantly accused of choosing sides because of tables of people he'd sat with. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was constantly accused of that. How can you do this? How can you welcome sinners and eat with them? That was a very big taboo thing for a bunch right. of different reasons as far as like cleanly issues, all this kind of stuff, like being remaining unclean and unclean. Like, but he, he wasn't. He's like, no, I, I'm still loving them as humans, even though they live very different than me. And, and, and I love that with a guy like Zacchaeus, he didn't lead with, let me tell you why being a tax collector is wrong. Instead, he led with his name. And I come down because I must stay at your house today. Yeah. And, and then Zacchaeus, you know, we're not told the details. He gets home, half of what I've taken, I'm giving away. And anybody I've stolen from, I'm like, it cha- radically changed yes. him. Right. Not from a debate or like a proving or a peeing match. You know, like. Right. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, Instead, it was like, man, he loves me. He, he shouldn't, what, he's coming to my house? And, and Jesus is even taking heat for doing it. Again, we like to see this as a story. It's so beautiful. No, think about the person that you're like, Jesus would most likely not want to be with. That's Zacchaeus. Yeah. And he takes heat for it. He has people tweeting about him, you know, like, and talking smack behind his back. Many times we're told that, that many people walked away from Jesus yeah. because of who he hung out with, who he cared for, who he loved. He doesn't, wasn't saying anything about, I, I always say Jesus doesn't sign off on our crap. Like you don't see him in that moment signing off on all of Zacchaeus' BS. Like yeah. Yeah. not once. I mean, he, his heart breaks for the people that he's stolen from. He just sees them as a human. Yeah. And um, that changes things and it changes people. And it changes how people think and make decisions and it even changes how people vote, you know, like all of a sudden they're like, what, like, what am I? It's it, like, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, you, you mentioned there's 27 names of people in one school in your book. Could you just share maybe one of those with us? One of your favorites? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, there's so, there's so many random stories. The one um, uh, that I, I, I just want to share his name's Antonio. So Antonio is chapter four, love adores extravagantly. Uh, Antonio is 21 years old. He just had uh, his birthday just a couple of weeks ago, um, but he kind of has the, the capacity of roughly a 10 or 11 year old. And um, he's an African-American fellow that's been coming to my church now for probably four years. The first time I met Antonio, was, I was preaching and I was talking about um, something heavy like divorce or cancer. When all of a sudden somebody began to like laugh in the sanctuary 
and I've preached through everything. You could, you could throw stuff at me, have your kids screaming. I'd be like, we're fine. We're going to preach through this. That's, it just like shocked me. I, I just talked with uh, the, the pastor the other day that was the camp's pastor there. And so I didn't think anything of it, kind of caught myself and gathered myself. Next week, I'm talking about like miscarriage or like death or something. Again, starts laughing. And I'm like, where is that coming from? So I came to the camp's pastor. And I'm like, hey, Chris, uh, can you tell me, am I missing something? Like, what am I doing? And he's like, let me introduce you to Antonio. So I come in the entryway and I see the, this kid and he's, uh, he's shaking. He's so excited. Oh. And I'm just, I'm like, is Bieber around the corner? Like what is going on? <laughs> and I get up to him and uh, Chris introduces me and he's like, Hey Adam, this is Antonio. And I'm like, you're Antonio. And he's just like, yeah. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, Antonio. And I'm like, and you come to this church? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I'm just going crazy. And uh, it sounds crazy to say, I can't remember in that moment, a time when I felt more loved. Yeah. yeah. I just felt so loved. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't care if people thought he was nuts for yelling or how excited he was. He was so excited that I was there. He wasn't checking his phone. Uh, to check his Instagram. He wasn't scanning the room to see if there was somebody more important that he should kind of wrap up conversation with me and go talk to. Instead, I had his undivided attention. And, and uh, each week, it sounds crazy. I began to seek Antonio out because of how he made me feel. Wow. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm like, I'm in the entryway, walking past everybody else to try to find Antonio to say hello to him. And uh, over the next few weeks and months when he started coming, I can remember uh, we had people say like, can we tell him to be quiet? Like he kind of is like distracting to the message and it's kind of awkward. And like when he laughs, it's really kind of weird. Like he's, we're, you're talking about divorce and he laughs. And in the Bible, there was a woman, um, we're told she was a certain immoral woman. Um, it's kind of assumed she was a prostitute. Jesus is hanging out with a Pharisee, this, this important person. And she comes up with this oil and begins to pour it all over Jesus and um, this perfume. And, and, um, the, the Pharisee is like, can we just get this like lady out of here? And first off, she's a woman at this time. So she has very little value and she's also a prostitute. And so she's not even a person anymore. She's really just this thing. And so I just picture the Pharisee, like, can we just get this trash? Can we just get her? Like she, she's disgusting. Like get her out of here. And then she's doing this thing on his feet. Like, what is she doing? And, um, and yet Jesus says like, no, actually what she's doing is, is, is wonderful and beautiful. It's this extravagant gift. And also she's the VIP in my eyes. She's not the, the, the last person. She's actually the first person. I go back to Antonio and I can't help but think that so often um, when he's with us, maybe he's the preacher that day and I'm just the person in the crowd listening. Mm. And I can't help but think that when if Jesus shows up on a Sunday morning, he's going to walk past all of us. He might wave at some of us. The first person he's going to see is Antonio. And I have no doubt that Jesus walks in. Um, Jesus is going to love him extravagantly, but Antonio is going to love him so well. We had Antonio show up at the book release party. We interviewed him on stage. He might have said 10 words total. There was a bunch of yeahs and laughing and clapping from him. <laughs> and I literally said, I was like, so chapter four is Antonio, love adores extravagantly. And Antonio was sitting on the couch like, <laughs> and, and I said, I said, I'm like, do I need to explain anymore? And everybody just like started clapping. 
I'm like, look at him. He is like the picture of loving extravagantly. And it was just awesome. This is awesome moment. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I'm, I want to meet Antonio. Like that's, <laughs> we're going to South Dakota, Rob. That's it. That's it. Like I want to, I want to, I want to be loved like that. We, um, what's interesting is there's a, a young man who's uh, my wife's best friend's son. His name's Caden and Caden's on the, on the autistic spectrum. And I always say Caden gives the best hugs. Like yeah. they are like this authentic squeeze you as tight as you can bear hug you know it's and it's just this this extravagant like love that comes from him and it's so authentic and i'm like like i wish i wish i could love like that it's always a reminder to me like i want to love like that like that innocent no no qualifications or anything i just just love that way you know it's amazing that's a great story and uh it's in the book love has a name uh, loving hard people and uh, what a great great book and uh, we encourage you to get out there get it read it and uh, be encouraged as we yeah. have been on the show today man we we are completely out of time and we always have to ask one last question before we close out the show and um, we ask this question to all of our guests and uh, we want to know what is one thing that you learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom Oof. One thing that comes to mind that I learned in college was um, that pastor, that Roger, I can remember my first time I came back home from college, he asked if I was getting involved in leadership or leading anything. Yeah. And I said, no. And um, he said, well, you should do that. And so I began to lead at one of my campus ministries. And uh, it's so weird to look back. I was always really nervous. I hated communications class and speaking in front of people but I became the host of one of the main large Bible studies on campus. It was usually like 50, 60 people. And I was kind of thrown into the leadership position. The guy who was heading it actually walked away from Christ, came away, to, oh. came, to, came to me one night and said, it's, it's yours if you want it. Otherwise you can just, it can just shut down. And I, it was where I went and I said, I want to, I want to take it on. And I just, I just learned what it looked like to stand in front of a group of people and how to welcome them how to, how to, how to communicate to them, how to share announcements with them. It was such this awkward thing. And you look back and you're like, that's not a training ground of learning. And yet I learned so much just by being in front of people and just getting those reps of like, of just trying it and what works, what doesn't. And uh, that's, that's one of the first things that comes to mind for me. That's That's awesome, awesome, man. Hey bro, it has been a joy and a blessing to have you on the show. And uh, we look forward to continuing the conversations, but as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, man, you've got a seat at the table. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Oh, thank you both so much. Absolute joy. Hey, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at the Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.